Hey everybody, welcome to the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Andrew. This is Josh. And I'm Melissa. We're joined by Melissa for the first time today. Now you're an official podcaster. That's it, those three, four words you said. Yes. You're in. It is March 15th, 2018, and we're going to be chatting about movies from the 16th through the 22nd. We got a whole bunch of stuff this week. Something Melissa said right before we started got to my brain of... Is it this one you said is out on DVD already? The yeah, water? Shape of Water is out on DVD. Shh. I told you. No, but you were <laughs> commenting that it surprised you that so many people still came to see it. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing that if it's out on Blu-ray or DVD and people are nonetheless still coming to see it here, that's very interesting because not too many years ago, there was a hard line in the sand of once it comes out on DVD, it's done. But now yeah. clearly there's a bit of a back and forth still I think mainly because most people don't know that people sell Blu-rays at I don't know Best Buy anymore is there a Best Buy no what went away Future Shop Future Shop is gone yeah Yeah, they still sell Blu-rays at Best Buy and Walmart but I don't know if anyone's buying them yeah, I don't think anyone (laughs) keeps up to date with that stuff too no no because like once upon a time in this neighborhood not our audience anyway no and nearby to here there used to be a video store there used to be not too far away would be the big chain stores like rogers and blockbuster and i think it was in the public eye of when something was coming out ads on tv that kind of thing but now unless you're a hard nerd for something who's like star wars is coming out this day i don't think the average person would be like oh i'm just gonna stay home and watch shape of water on blu-ray yeah a lot of friends I have with kids and stuff don't even have a Blu-ray player anymore. It's not a thing that kids do, you know? Yeah, so it's interesting that people are coming nonetheless. Because, yeah, Lee said the same thing, that he walked into somewhere and something else we're screening as well. Two or three of the Oscar movies are out on yeah, yeah. stuff. And nobody cares. I, I don't know how many people are buying, like, hey, it's three billboards. We're going to watch that every Thanksgiving. Like, it's not that kind of film th- films no, this year. You know. Not. Yeah, so we got a packed schedule this week. A bunch of stuff held over. Our Ottawa premiere this week is November. I don't know if it's a trick, but the description is it's kind of a monster movie. A highbrow monster movie. Do you know anything about it, Andrew? You... I thought it was like a romance set. Are you talking that... about November? Yeah. yeah. It looks like sort of a gothic 19th century. Yeah. It almost looks like an Ingmar Bergman film, but more horror. Yeah, because Maybe it's... like Virgin Spring kind of stuff. It says... It's our in main... black and white. Our main characters live in a village inhabited by Black Death, spirits, werewolves, and the devil himself. So maybe it's like the village meets the witch. Yeah, like I don't know if there's actually werewolves in it. Whenever there's a movie like that that says that, I'm always sad that there's not actually werewolves in it. You know, like it could just be dumb village people or whatever. Well, I think that's just the setting. Yeah. There's like something else. I was reading some reviews and it's like, oh, like a kind of gothic love story set in like this weird time yeah it's probably just people who believe in werewolves and stuff a cool art house premiere we have this week it's uh yeah set in estonia i believe in the 19th century estonian and german with english subtitles and it won a bunch of uh, film festival awards i believe yeah i don't know if, i don't have it written down in front of me but it did win a whole bunch of awards kind of a film festival darling of a film and then we have... How many Oscar movies do we have back? We have I, Tonya coming back. Very good movie. I loved I, Tonya. It broke all the rules of having, you know, breaking the fourth wall and unreliable narrator and, and kind of... But they don't overuse that, I find. Yeah. Like it's, it's just right. It's not too... Um, they don't get carried away with the gimmick. Yeah. It works. And it 
It's very funny, too. Like, it's like a dark oh. comedy yeah. approach. And it goes back and forth in being really funny to the most disturbing yeah. spousal abuse you've ever yeah. seen. Horrific. Of her it's... just getting her head slammed in a wall yeah. and then a moment later being something funny. It's really... But it's she talks size. about it so casually because yes. it's such a regular part of her life. Which makes it even more Well, it's sort terrifying. of like this blue-collar kind of cynical, like, ah, you beat the crap out of me. Yeah. yeah. And... I can't. I, I've been trying to think of a movie that changes one's opinion of a real life character, and I can't think of one where, up until this point, she was kind of a joke, kind of a villain in you know modern sports history or Olympics. She's kind of a joke and kind of a, a dark tale kind of thing. And you watch this movie and you're just turned around. And the movie admits right up front that this might not all be true. But, yeah, I can't think of anything where you watch it and at the end you're like, oh, I feel really bad for her. Well, yeah, like, at the end you still see her as a victim, even though they all say, like, this isn't necessarily true or, like, yeah. it's different accounts. Well, you I, still kind of feel... I remember, like, very I like very well when it was in the news mm -hmm. and she was portrayed as this, you know, witch. You know, oh, this yeah. horrible, and Nancy Kerrigan was, you know, the poor victim. I mean, she was a victim of it, obviously. And even simplified it to just you know and she in the movie a few times she says like looks at the cameras like not my fault and there's just a couple times you're like i don't know i think you might have known a little bit about this but i think maybe they leave that kind of ambiguous like yeah whether how much she knew about what her boyfriend was planning but it's still like credible that like she didn't know yeah like, it's not like super out there you can kind of believe that oh maybe maybe she didn't know yeah yeah the that, full it, extent that it was it. the what was he at the time? Ex-boy, ex-husband. Yeah. Trying, in his brain, the perfect scheme. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's portrayed as, like, the biggest, not just abusive, but just, like, yeah. the biggest, most insecure, sad sack loser, you know? And my favorite, I don't know the actor's name, but the guy who He's played, really good in the film. Sebastian Stan? Sebastian he's Stan, yeah. Bucky is amazing. And But then his sidekick in the movie, the kind of dopey... Uh, living the, bo the bodyguard. Oh, my <laughs> God. Quote, unquote. I love that guy. He was... Very much... He's um, like the comic relief of the film. I love kind of... You know, Wes Anderson movies and Coen Brother movies always kind of have that... Often have, you know, the dumb guy. And I love a good dumb guy movie. That was too... Like, that was excessive. I was like, is this even a real person? But then you see his footage and you're like, oh my god, you yeah. actually... Well, they, they show it side by side at the end. Yeah, and truth stranger than fiction when you see some of the plans or that one thing of the guy trying to be inconspicuous... And like moving his car around yeah. in the parking lot, oh, just that was the best. Just madness. But yeah, so anyhow, it, when they meet in the Chinese restaurant, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's I, really I hope I hope people listening haven't have seen it. Yeah, I don't think anything we said is too spoilery. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not really. Yeah. A plus it's a true story. Like, yeah, yeah. Know what and, and that's always a compliment too. When you you know what it is, and it's still so yeah. captivating. But I thought it really could have been in that tenth spot because only nine out of ten movies were nominated for Oscars. And I thought that could have easily been a tenth spot in there. I, I really liked it a lot. And even, like, the music, everything. And Margot Robbie continues to impress. She's one of those overnight success stories who I'm sure is not an overnight success story. She's probably been working since she was a kid or something. But, yeah, I, I really think she's something. I think she's going to be... Well, she has her own production company. Yeah. She produced this. Yeah. She's trying to promote, like, strong, interesting female characters. So, right, like, yeah, yeah. She's doing, like... Well, she might be the in Birds of Prey. She might be in Tarantino's next film. As, right. Uh, oh, yeah, she might be playing uh, Sharon Tate. And I hope if she gets another kick at 
Harley Quinn, somebody else is directing it because I thought she was the only good thing in that movie. Yeah. And, and I was in it for like five seconds. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> get a new director, let her try again. So I, Tanya, back for another week. I think it's like the fifth week we have it. Uh, I'm just going to go in order of the list so I don't forget anything. Our next Collective Arts Brewing and Smoke Shack movie night is Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, mm. which is quite the catch because for a number of years, we just couldn't get this movie. And it really is an example of glass half full of digital versus film. We all miss film and film is fun and we play it as much as we can, which isn't very often, but we just couldn't get this film before on 35mm. So now they've made a DCP version of it and we're getting to screen it. I don't know when when is the last time it played for an audience. That's a good quote on Canada. This is probably, it probably hasn't played theatrically in Canada since its first release. Which is nuts. 1970. And anyone who complains about us not playing old films enough uh come see this because this could be it like you might not get another it was a big hit when it came out but 20th century fox like russ meyer directed it and russ meyer was the king of the nudie film you made all these low budget independent nudie films like softcore not porn but kind of you know just nudity yeah and he made this movie called vixen which was this huge hit and then 20th century fox is like oh maybe we should let him make a movie and him and Roger Ebert, who became friends, they wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which was supposed to be a sequel to Valley of the Dolls, which Fox put out. And that was based on this huge bestseller. And they decided, let's not do a sequel. Let's do kind of, let's do a spoof of Valley of the Dolls. What little bit of research I did just by writing some social media stuff. And I write a little part of the House of Targzine, our mm-hmm. friends across the street, and I did Beyond the Valley of the Dolls for this issue. Well, people at Targ would, you know, they, they'd be interested in that. Yeah. That's a good movie for them to see. By, like, conservative estimates, the movie cost under a million dollars to produce, and at 1970s numbers, made $50 million. Yeah. So that's a lot of money. Like, I don't know what the translation is to today's dollars. That's a lot of money. But, but, so it's probably like a Marvel <laughs> studio. yeah. And especially when you figure out if it cost $900,000 oh, and, yeah. and made... 50 or 60 times its budget, that's nuts. So Russ Meyer, despite the grindhouse reputation, was really profitable. I think it's so interesting that this X-rated exploitation film, or whatever you might subgenre it as, was produced by 20th Century Fox. They were ashamed of it, though. Oh, yeah. It came out, it was a huge hit, but at the same time, they were like, they were really embarrassed by it. Yeah. So after it came out and it did well, it was pretty much buried. Didn't have, like, revival showings. They gave it, like, a little VHS Laserdisc release, but, like, you know, it it was hard to find for years. X at the time, what did that mean? It meant you couldn't advertise in, like, the newspaper or radio, I think. That was kind of a limitation. Yeah, I mean, basically... But it really is just essentially what R is now, right? Yeah, well, like, no, it, it basically it's NC-17 in the States. Okay, yeah. It meant, you know, if you're under 17, you can't come into this film, even with a parent. Because the R rating was, or is, you can bring a child, but... Which is bonkers. <laughs> like, if you wanted to... 20... Like, Shape of Water is rated R in right. the States. So you can, yeah. you know, you can bring your child to it if yeah. you're so inclined. But something like Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which was rated X which today would be an NC-17 as, like, no kids whatsoever. Right. And it's... But it's pretty tame by today's standards. I saw it on, like, VHS when I was in high school, like, a million years ago, so I don't really remember it. But that's what I figured was you watch it now compared to other stuff, and you're like, oh, this doesn't seem like 
it doesn't seem what the stereotype or the the legend of what an X means. You watch it and you're like, oh, that wasn't so crazy. Yeah. Well, basically, the the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America in the States, created that rating system in like 1967, 68. So that was the advent of like PG, R, X. And X didn't last very long because it was sort of like people thought, oh, that's porn. The X rating went to films like Midnight Cowboy, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and I think like Last Tango in Paris. But eventually it went by the wayside and then it just became associated with pornography. Yeah. So mainstream Hollywood films weren't getting the X rating after a while. And then in the early 90s, they changed it. Well, we can't call it X anymore because everyone thinks that means porn. So they created the NC-17 rating. And I can't even think of the last major movie it was like showgirls 20 years ago wasn't it very few film because that's the thing like a couple horror films when maybe? a film gets an nc-17 it means certain newspapers and radio stations won't advertise it because they think well it, that really just means x and 20 years ago when that was still a thing when newspapers and radio and tv ads meant something you could see at yeah, a studio i remember speaking of kind of video stores and stuff i remember blockbuster brought out an r or maybe even like a 14 version of showgirls yeah which caused all kinds of controversy because they were like, okay, now you're just going to start editing films. And I don't know if they did it to other ones, but it was like a blockbuster cut of the movie where I never saw it, but where they... That's weird. Yeah, and Showgirls isn't exactly cinematic classic or anything, but nonetheless, it's weird that a franchise video store had the power to go in and be like, yep, I'm taking out this, 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 this. Well, Blockbuster had that reputation of family-friendly only kind of thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy. But yeah, so do come check that out. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's a one-night-only screening. Yeah, no, if you haven't seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, I think that's going to be a don't fun miss night. It. And, and if you have seen it, come again. Come again, yeah. And <laughs> I haven't be... seen it in years, so... Yeah, that's... I don't remember it at all. And Lee was saying, too, it's cinematic. Like, it's it's a big widescreen Yeah, it's a movie. big widescreen cinemascope. It's basically about this... It's almost like Josie and the Pussycats. It's these three girls in a rock group. Oh, and they go to Hollywood to make it big, and then they yeah. kind of fall into the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll scene. And it's a bit of a soap opera spoof. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's got great musical numbers in it, like rock yeah. songs, great soundtrack. Yeah, so do come Very quotable. Uh, what's next? Shape of Water is back, the Oscar winner for Best Picture. If uh, I don't think his microphone will pick it up, but you might hear just in the background some of the score playing because we're yeah. recording this podcast as the Shape Oscar, of Water. The Oscar-winning score? The Oscar-winning yeah. score might just, just be heard in the background. I love Shape of Water. I know some people who liked it but just kind of went, oh, that was a nice fairy tale movie, but I really loved it. I, I thought it was great. Kind of on every side. Cinematography, production design, acting. It's Guillermo del Toro. His last couple movies, I, I love him, but I thought Crimson Peak was great but i didn't really love it you know yeah like it, it looked great and it was kind of one of those movies where nothing wrong i, with I it, was but... kind of underwhelmed by it but yeah. I, I feel like i should see it again i might like it a yeah. second time and i wasn't a big fan of hellboy part two i love pacific rim but i like pacific i, rim I swear i was just like i had a big dumb grin as robots were punching godzillas like I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know i didn't care but so but yeah so this is del toro on all sides and i think it's him at his perfection and i think the powers that be let him tell his Creature from the Black Lagoon story. Mm -hmm. I almost think this might have been Creature from the Black Lagoon. I think he was going to do a remake of that. So, like, in an alternate universe, this would have been called Creature from the Black Lagoon and kind of been the exact same movie, but just... But have you heard the comparison between this and this old movie called Splash? Where it was the oh, same yeah. concept, but it's a mermaid, 
And there's even, like, scenes constructed in the exact same way, shot the same way. He was, like, inspired by that. I've heard, but then I've heard people have looked into it, and it's kind of nothing, you know? It's like a huge coincidence. Who plays John Candy in Shape of Water? I guess it's Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins, yeah. (laughs) He's the John Candy of this movie. It's one of those things where any time a movie of a certain stature comes out, it's going to get sued every single time. Yeah. And but the shots were very similar. It's did you watch huge, it? Did you like, like I saw them yeah. next to each other and yeah. like the way the camera's set up, the way yeah. the scene is set, it's exactly. I also the heard same. somebody sued because there was like a play about a guy or a woman in a dolphin and she like Yeah, but those are just like that's just a concept. That's you shouldn't be able to sue anyone over Well and that's the thing too where does inspiration fall I just watched Paddington 2 and there was a rip off of a Charlie Chaplin scene in it you watch Star Wars and yeah. it's just, well it's probably intended you know, as a homage yeah there's a difference yeah. between like an homage and like a theft I guess so I, I remember when George Lucas saying for Return of the Jedi that they were sued by somebody who wrote a screenplay called Space Bears and that's why nowadays it's yeah, so it gets hard ridiculous. I wish I lived in a different time sometimes because back in the 70s in the 80s maybe even, you could just send in a script to DC Comics or Marvel Comics. You could just send them a Batman script to be like, do you like my script? And there's all kinds of great stories of people getting jobs out of that. Yeah. Now they won't now, do that. Now they don't even do like spec scripts for movies anymore. No. They don't accept them anymore. Now you got to like do your own thing, get seen and then get hired, yeah. but you can't send in an idea because they won't open the envelope because they think you'll sue them, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Unless you have the rights to like a book, an idea. Yeah. So it's, it's made, all these damn lawsuits has made it harder to break into the, the movie biz and the writing biz, but we're going to move along here. Phantom Thread is back for the fourth week. You didn't like Phantom Thread. <laughs> no. Oh, you didn't? No. I really like Quite it. Quite a few people were like, mm, I've seen it's it twice. It's too slow. Yeah. It's like, I don't think it's slow at all. I think it's like got the fastest pacing anyway of like any movies made since like I thought the first love. The first like 15 minutes or so, I was like, okay, this is going to be like a Merchant Ivory kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then when it kind of gets into gear with all like the the backstabbing and the evil and the Yeah, like that's when it starts picking up. Like it's definitely worth seeing. I Yeah. Won't deny that, but I feel like it was trying to be, like, an art film, but failing. I thought it was... I don't know. I can't say anything without spoiling it, but it was, like, an art film that was actually something else with, like, a really weird twist to it. Yeah. And Which I, is what makes the movie. And the actress who... She was Oscar-nominated, right? Who plays his sister? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God, she was Oh, great. yeah, um, Leslie Manville. She's great. She was so good. And even Vicky... The, crepes I don't know if I'm saying the, her name the, right the, the, the woman the inspiration yeah the muse uh, she's excellent in the film there's just one yes, scene where the three of them are sitting around the table and his sister just shoots a glance and it just shivers you know it's like just just the simplicity it was like a silent film almost it's funny though like a friend of mine I didn't even know this Gwen told me that she read about it on Facebook or something but a friend of mine who's a big film buff she walked out of it as well Like she, she, she walked she, out of it? she walked out of it and not out of I think felt like Melissa like she was like bored yeah so it is a movie that despite being Oscar nominated does have some people just it wasn't their groove you know yeah. <laughs> like well it, like it, the first 40 minutes I found 
I was waiting for something to just capture my interest. But then at that 40 minute mark, then I was like, oh, okay, I found yeah. something. I bet you she walked out at like 39 minutes. Yeah. I'm you gotta to be patient sometimes. Yeah, you know? it's like, worth waiting. I'm trying you to gotta let a story unfold, you know? And some people just, I think people have this expectation where yeah. you know exactly what's gonna happen five minutes in and it's all kind of set up for you. But then there's, sometimes there's some movies, like, I know there's some movies that. Not everyone, but a lot of people love. At the time, when it came out, Moulin Rouge was pretty big. Like, everyone really loved it. And I went to see it, and it just didn't click, you know? And I'm never... I'm not really over-the-top negative about, you know, going online and being like, Dear filmmaker, I hate you. But Moulin Rouge, for me, was just like, Good job, everybody. It looked pretty, but I just didn't like it. But I have so many friends who... It's one of their favorite movies, you know? So, And that's why I think kind of subjective it's yeah and moments of the oscars are as close as i get to being a sports fan because like when jordan you get Peele, your face painted and yeah and <laughs> you know, off. yeah <laughs> one of those like horns and stuff you know but like when when jordan peele won for screenplay i great. i cheered as if he just scored a goal but if he hadn't have won i wouldn't have liked the film any less yeah so awards are silly they're fun but they're very subjective because you know, if you were on the Oscar board, you wouldn't have put Phantom Thread on there. And a few years ago, if I was on the Oscar board, I wouldn't have put Titanic. But that yeah. won, like, ten Oscars. So it's like anything else. It, it's That's why people who only do what critics tell them... Like, I love Roger Ebert, but there's a few things that he gave bad reviews to that I'm like, you're crazy. Or that he gave good reviews to, like, you know, Tomb Raider. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had a thing for yeah. Angelina Jolie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the other Oscar film this week is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I haven't seen this one yet. I am seeing it this week. You didn't like that either. Oh, super entertaining. I had issues with writing, it myself. Yeah? It was the writing so is problematic. Problematic, yeah. So what is... Cause I know but this, come and see it. But yeah, come and see it. Yeah. Don't listen it's to us. It's definitely entertaining. I'll give it that. I was entertained, but I was also angry. Right. <laughs> and this filmmaker, I always forget what he's done, but he has he a bit did, of a reputation uh, for that, right? In Bruges, yeah. which is really good. Yeah. Seven Psychopaths. I think he made a film called Six Shooter, which I haven't seen. But he's, he's worked a lot with Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell, What's who his... aren't in this film. No. Brendan Gleeson was just in Paddington 2, which I just watched half an oh, hour ago. Oh, that's right. Man, that movie I had a good it. cast. I Holy missed cow, it. that movie. Had... Peter Capaldi's in it. The actor's from... Shape of Water. What's her name? Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins is in it. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Oh, that was a good movie. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. With a big musical yeah, number. Hugh Grant at the end. That was I really good. That. But, um, yeah, three billboards. These movies are still drawing crowds, but they're just starting to slow down. So I would say, yeah, if you haven't seen these Oscar movies and you want to, see them now. I think the last one we haven't screened is The Post, which is on the horizon, I think. Maybe yeah. next yeah, week. Yeah, end of March, Lee was saying. And that's just the last one we haven't screened yet. Back in the day, we never would have had all these yet. We, we wouldn't no. have had any of them. And so it's kind of cool that we've been able to screen all the Oscar movies yeah. in a timely manner. On the opposite end of the scale, this month is our 103rd consecutive month screening The Room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Melissa, when you jumped into work in here, were you familiar with The Room? Had you seen it here already? No, I saw it by myself at my house. It was awful. Oh, that's awful no way to see experience. it. <laughs> yeah, it would be better to see it here. And our screening this time is on St. Patrick's Day. I know. Somebody so pointed that out to me and it was like, oh my God, there's going to be a bunch of green paste. It's a weird movie to be playing on St. Patrick's Day. You would picture like Rocky Horror or something. Yeah, and I think it's just luck of the draw of our rotation. Yeah. 
But the the crowd will be rowdy from <laughs> yeah. a little bit of pre-drinking probably. Oh, God. Oh, that's on? Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be people will be going to the bar and then coming to the room. I'll get some security. Yeah. Yeah. Since our last screening of the room, it Disaster Artist did not win Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. It went to... Call Me By Your Name. Call Me By Your Name. I really thought it had a shot, but then also it's kind of a comedy and kind of, you know, so that's... I didn't think it was going to win. A lot of these movies, it really is the, it's an honor to be nominated. You know, like that's as far as you're going to get. Yeah. So it didn't win that. What all this has done is really put Tommy Wiseau in the limelight. Yeah. And he's been taking advantage of it. And he's, you know, been interviews all over the place and... His Joker audition, which just blew up. Yeah, like all these things. So he's gonna he's and he's doing something else. He's doing another just as an actor, I think he's doing another film. Didn't something come out? Wasn't it a music video? Was it a music video? I just saw that I saw his name. I don't know if it's a feature film. Okay, so yeah, you can follow him on Instagram. And his Twitter is genuinely strangely inspirational. People will come on and ask a question and he replies in his kind of weird backwards Yoda speak. You know, just follow your dreams and keep writing that script and don't let anyone get you down. And it's weird because, you know, it's coming from a guy who directed this terrible, horrible movie. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's nice that his delusion continues, maybe. He still doesn't get it, that Disaster Artist is kind of showing him at his worst sometimes. But I... I mean, yes and no. Like, his best acting was when he made his appearance in Disaster Artist. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought that After was, the like, end credits. the best scene he'd ever done. Because he's so casual and relaxed in it. And I think he's like, got some good moments in Best Friends. Yeah, I thought I like so, best too. Best Friends, yeah. yeah. And, like, you see some of the people in the beginning of Disaster Artist, like J.J. Abrams or Kevin Smith or Adam Scott. And you're like, man, they're going to start putting him in, like, not in starring roles, but I would not be surprised if... Sooner or later, he'll start popping up in just little one line here, one line there. Just Yeah, just like a cameo. Exactly, yeah. People have been asking about Best Friends Volume 1 and 2. We don't really have an answer yet. I'm afraid that distribution might screw us because it might be, not to talk about the multiplexes, but it, I, it might be one of those one-night-only multiplex kind of things. And I know from experience of trying to get Rift Track stuff yeah. here at the Mayfair that they have uh, exclusivity deals where it's yeah. like... They play it, and then that's it. They don't let it play anywhere else. So that might screw us, but we'll let people know. I'm sure we would love to screen it. I want to see part two, but I saw that I think it's advertised now as at least in the States as being one of those one-night-only, two-night-only special things, the way they do Mm. wrestling or Doctor Who episodes or whatever. So that might be bad news with us trying to get it again, but maybe Greg will be able to... um, Or we might get it, but like a while after it comes out or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll We'll let everybody know. Also screening this week, what's the last thing this week? Saturday morning cartoons. Saturday morning all-you-can-eat cereal cartoon party is, it's like our 15th round, I think. It's one of my favorite things. I'm so glad it's caught on, especially when we've had to cancel Kids Club recently because nobody showed up. And it's nice that this kid-friendly thing we can still do four times a year. People ask me about it all the time. I went into Quinn's last night and they were like, what's this cartoon thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not just for kids. No. No, it's, yeah, lots of... And really, it's like kids at heart. It's like sixty forty adults, kids, if not more, sometimes. Yeah. And I find grown ups are a bit less shy, so they're in pajamas, and the kids aren't. Yeah. You know. So yeah, it's three hours of retro cartoons. In the past, it's been stuff that's familiar to you, to really weird old Hanna Barbera stuff, because 
some of this Hanna-Barbera stuff, some is, you know, Flintstone, Scooby-Doo, Jetsons. But a lot of it is stuff that lasted six or eight episodes and then got canceled. So it really doesn't have a presence on DVD or, or YTV or stuff like that. So that's super fun to see. I like the commercials almost as much. I've joked with the curator who puts them together and told her that if you just had three hours of commercials, I might just watch those because yeah. th- those are super fun. <laughs> Old serial ads and, and action figures and board games and video games. And and if you're of a certain age like I am, it's, it's a major flashback where you're, you're like, yeah. oh my God, I remember that action figure. And it's some obscure action figure that you've completely forgotten about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's super fun. That'll be coming up. If you're listening to this right away on Saturday, March 17th. And yesterday I went to Loblaws in Walmart and bought 50 boxes of cereal. Yeah, I saw that. Half of them are like, yeah, Oreos, Oreo cereal. Half of them are family-sized boxes, so I think it's the equivalent of 60, 70 boxes of cereal. But nobody cares when when you go through the clerk. They don't say, why are you buying 50 boxes of cereal? Yeah. How does it work? Because I've never been here for one like, okay yeah do people really? just do people just serve themselves or? yeah we, we've kind of got it down to routine now inside the front door we set up a table and put all the cereal on it yeah so kind of lengthways in the right in front of the candy bar and then against the wall there's just enough room to put the little table with milk on it so they kind of just take care of themselves and then yeah. we put in a bunch of plastic bowls and we tell people that bring your own bowl but be reasonable because i've totally stopped a couple punk teenagers once who had bowls the size of witches cauldrons <laughs> and been like no you that that would genuinely be that's two boxes of that's cereal like when yeah. you got fired and broke up with your <laughs> yeah. girlfriend and you're like locked in your apartment that's like that kind of yeah cereal but we get like i said i got the equivalent of 60 70 boxes of cereal and sometimes it's always hard sometimes people are more hungry than other times but sometimes we've had to run to shoppers and buy more cereal yeah people come in we open the doors as early as we can but at least by 9 30 and then it's different, right? It's almost like the Oscars, where it's not like you're watching a movie. So it's a you know a 20 minute episode of something, and then there's three or four minutes of commercials, and then a 20 minute episode of something. So people come back and forth and get more cereal, and but it's a lot of fun, and and it's it's strange that one of our most popular things is a TV related thing, but mm-hmm. I think it's just I'm glad I'm glad it's continued on. I'm glad that yeah. we're able to keep doing it. So. So yeah, so, and if you miss this one, there'll be another one in a few months. We've kind of gotten into the routine of March break, summer, back to school, and the holidays. So it makes a nice little rotation. And sometimes people say you should do it more, but I'm like, no, I I like that little break. You know, leave leave them wanting more. If we did it every Saturday, one, we'd run out of material, but two, I think people might get a little bored. comments often. It's not as special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's our movies for this week. We actually kind of managed to do that in a timely manner for... The hundred movies that we have. Do go check out our friends at House of Target across the street. I was just there yesterday for their. They did a family free play day all day long. Oh yeah. So I juggled my day of coming here to do some business, going to play video games, went there for dinner, came back to watch Star Wars, went back there afterwards. But uh, yeah, so they always got cool stuff going on there. We're all over social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check out our website. Everything we know goes on as soon as we know it. Yeah. So we try not to get frustrated with you, but when you say, are you showing this? We promise that we're not keeping it secret. We will tell you. We don't know. We don't know. (laughs) We don't know when we're getting the next movie. It's not a secret, and we'll let you know. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us, Melissa. Yeah, thanks for for joining us. See you again next time. Keep coming to watch movies, keep buying popcorn, and we'll keep trying to show cool stuff. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you later. Russ Meyer's Vixen, 
the story of a girl who loves the joy of being alive and gives herself innocently to the merry chase of life. But like any other game, life has its rules, and if we trespass beyond them, the game can become deadly. There is no stronger bond than the friendship between two men. Judd and Niles shared such a bond, a brotherly tie blind to color. And yet, in a moment of violent passion, one led the other to the edge of destruction. Both pushed by Vixen, her frustration nurtured by an empty lack of understanding, a need she sought to fill in the arms of another woman. For to Vixen, the giving of love is an act of nature. Her only weakness, a cancerous evil she was taught, that human beings are to be classified by the color of their skin, an inner sickness that will come close to destroying not only her, but those around her. It will bring them to a moment of truth in an empty sky, with a black man a fulcrum in the deadly teeterboard of life. The hatred inside Vixen fired by yet another hate, the sinister preachings of the communist puppet. Vixen, an adult motion picture experience that is rated X. The management of this theater urges you to see Russ Meyer's Vixen. <laughs>